0: Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. Five straight hours of your favorite classic radio shows. And each and every week now, we play eight shows for you. Wow, Lisa.
1: Yep, that's a lot of classic radio. That is a lot of
0: classic radio. You must love radio. classic
1: radio, or Carl, I don't know, one well, or the other, or both. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we hope you love the classic radio shows. That's For the sure. most important thing. Uh, we will be tuning in to the conclusion to the great Gildersleeve in this hour, plus the Cisco Kid. But I got to tell you, Lisa, I am loving, absolutely loving, My delivery service of Vistro, you know that?
1: I just, I feel the same way.
0: I eat Vistro pretty much every day.
1: I don't know if you know how the company Vistro started, but it's a brother and sister. It's Mark and Monica and they were in that modern life dilemma about, you know, time starved and hungry and the fast meals weren't healthy and the healthy meals weren't fast. And they ended up developing this company called Vistro. They grew up in Costa Rica and they were used to fresh, home-cooked meals with a lot of vegetables and a lot of fruits. And so they brought that healthy outlook into their company, which is now called Vistro. And that's a way of life for them as they grew up. So now we have this beautiful company, Vistro, that is delicious, organic, healthy, and it's all derived from plants. So it's fully prepared anytime you need it. You just heat it up in the microwave or the stove. There's no chopping, there's no cooking, there's no cleanup, and it's a really healthy delivery right to your doorstep. Yep. It's really a good way of life. Check it out. It's Vistro.com. That's V-E-E-S-T-R-O.com. Yeah, you You'll g- get 15% I off your first say. order at the website.
0: Yeah, 15% off the first time Give you it order. A try. Check it out, Vistro.com. All right. After this short break, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve and then the Cisco Kids. Stick around. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. In our last hour, we began listening to The Great Gildersleeve starring Hal Perry. I love The Great Gildersleeve. You know, it was on a long, long time, Lisa. Hal Perry originated the role, as we talked about earlier, on Fibber McGee and Molly. And then in 1950, he left the series at the height of its popularity to star in another radio series called Honest Herald. And they brought in a guy that sounded almost exactly like Harold Perry. His name, Willard Waterman. I don't think anybody listening ever knew that it was a different actor playing the role. And Willard Waterman played the great Gildersleeve until the end of the run in 1957 and then made the transition to television, played him on TV. I got to be friends with Willard Waterman over the years. In fact, I got to be in a radio reenactment of a Gildersleeve broadcast, and I played... Leroy. Leroy.
1: <laughs> of course hey, you unk. did. How you doing, Unc? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> a role
0: played by uh, the great Walter Tetley. Well, let's tune in now to the conclusion of this uh, March 17, 1948 broadcast called The Duel. Here's The Great Gildersleeve. Make us yourself at home. Thanks.
2: Uh, certainly like old times, having been over here, isn't it, Marjorie? Yes. Yeah. Hey, you're uh, looking swell, Marge. How you been? All right. <laughs> um, how's school?
3: All right. Oh, she just loves school, especially French.
2: Leroy? <laughs> 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 uh, ben, maybe you and Marjorie would like to uh, go to a movie. It's okay with me. How about you, Marge?
3: Uh, no, thanks. I have some homework to do tonight. In fact, I should be doing it right now.
2: Oh. Well,. Okay, I I wouldn't have come over if your uncle hadn't invited me.
3: I thought so. Uncle Marge. No, Margie, I wish you'd stop trying to arrange my life. Look here, young lady, you're still I'm perfectly capable of handling my own affairs. Well,
2: yes, I better be going. (laughs) Stay right here, Ben. Yeah,
3: you keep out of this. I don't have to. I won't stand for it. I've had had enough of this, young lady. You're going to listen to me.
2: You understand? Good night, everybody. Guess I'll go
4: bowling. Ben, come back here.
3: I won't be treated like a child. Ben. I'm an adult. Get her. Leroy. Nobody understands me.
5: Oh,
4: I should have
2: gone bowling with Ben.
6: Well, relations are somewhat
2: strained around the Gildersleeve household this morning. At the moment, the great man is having breakfast with Leroy and Marjorie. A very quiet breakfast. In fact, Marjorie isn't talking at all. Uh, sleep well last night, Marjorie? Marjorie, your old uncle is talking to you. <laughs> What's the matter, Leroy? It's
3: sure quiet around here.
2: Quiet? I hadn't noticed it. <laughs> Young man, you finish your breakfast. You may go to school.
3: Okay. Goodbye. Or as they say in French, Chevrolet Coupe. Leroy. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh,
2: boy. boy. <laughs> uh, Marjorie. Marjorie, I just invited Ben over last night for your own good. All right. you don't want to talk to me, you don't have to. All right with me. Marjorie.
3: Yes, Unky?
2: You know, I don't want you to be unhappy, don't you? Yes. I just think when a girl like you thinks she's in love with an older man, well, it just leads to unhappiness. That's all. And you're liable to get hurt.
3: What makes you think that?
2: It stands to reason that an older man like this Andre Marcel wouldn't be interested in a schoolgirl.
3: Well, Anki, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I think Andre's in love with me, too. What? In fact, I'm sure he is.
2: What do you mean? Did he say so?
3: No, but a girl can always tell. Uh (laughs) It's just the way he acts around me. He's so gentle and understanding.
5: Uh Oh, I see.
3: And yesterday, when I got up to recite, I didn't know my French verbs. And he didn't get angry at all. He just gave me the sweetest smile.
2: Oh, uh, he's madly in love with you, all right.
3: You just don't understand, Uncle Morris.
2: My dear, I'm afraid you're just letting your imagination run away with you. Mr. Marcel is just being nice to you, that's all. That doesn't mean necessarily yes, that you... Yes, yes, Bertie?
3: Here's the mail. Oh, thank you, Bertie. Yes,
2: sir. Uh, excuse me. Let's see here. What's this?
3: What's the matter, Uncle? It's
2: a letter for me, from Andre Marcel. Oh, Uncle! I wonder what. Open he... it! What did he say? Wait a minute. Dear Mr. Gildersleeve, I hesitate to write you this note, but after giving it much thought, I decided it's the best thing to do. This is a matter which cannot be postponed any longer. May I call upon you this evening? I must talk to you about Marjorie. I hope you'll understand sincerely
3: Oh Anki I was right about Andre uh? he wants to see you about me he does love me
5: he does mm. <laughs>
7: Hello, Peavy. Oh, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. How are you this fine spring morning? Yeah, not too good. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, the advent of spring does seem to affect some people. It causes sluggishness, loss of appetite.
2: I feel all right, but spring has certainly done something to Marjorie.
7: Well, they say it does have more effect on young people. Now, if I might make a suggestion, I have a spring tonic here.
2: Peavy, a spring tonic is not going to do Marjorie any good.
7: Well, it's a very good tonic. It contains oil of juniper, sassafras root. (laughs) Peavy, if you'll just listen for a moment, Marjorie's in love. Oh. Well, that happens pretty often in the spring, too. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's the time of year I met Mrs. Peavy. You might say it was the spring that made me fall. (laughs) That was a little witticism. I know. Uh, Spring made me fall. I heard you the first time. (laughs) You don't understand, Peavy.
2: Marjorie's serious about this thing. And she's in love with him. Well, her Mrs. Peavy was serious, too. I don't
7: care about Mrs. Peavy. Mr. Gildersleeve, I don't think that's a very nice thing to say. Well, Peavy, I didn't Mrs. mean. Mrs. Peavy may have her little peculiarities, but none of us are perfect. But you don't, understand... And under- she is my wife. I know that. Well, don't forget it.
5: <laughs> and you can
7: take it from me, Mr. Gildersleeve. Mrs. Peavy has many fine qualities. She's loyal, thrifty, neat as a pin. Peavy, you misunderstood me. I'm sure Mrs.
2: Peavy is the most wonderful wife in the world. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Oh, keep up. (laughs) But, Judge, Marjorie's too young to even be thinking about getting married.
6: Now, we don't know that she is thinking about
2: it. Well, she thinks she's in love.
6: Yeah, but that doesn't mean she's going to get married. Look at you. If you married every woman you thought you were in love with, you'd have more wives than Carter has pills. <laughs> some of your women were pills. <laughs> this is no time
2: for your heavy-handed humor, you old goat. All right, all
6: right. Well, the first thing to do is not to let Marjorie know that you oppose this idea.
2: But, Judge, suppose when this Marcel fella comes over tonight, he asks me if he can get engaged to Marjorie.
6: Well, don't oppose that either. What? No, no Don't get yourself in a tizzy. Even if they do get engaged, it'll be several years before they could get married. And I'm sure that Marjorie will come to her senses long before that.
2: Yes. On
6: the other hand, if you try to break up this romance, you'll only bring them closer together. Why, they might even elope.
2: Elope? Oh, my goodness.
6: Well, the thing for you to do is act like you're very happy about the whole thing. (laughs) Hmm. As far as that goes, Gilday, remember, the time will come when Marjorie will get married fact, someday somebody will marry Leroy. I doubt that.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
6: you might as well face the facts, Gildy. They don't stay children forever. Someday little Marjorie will be slowly walking down the aisle, dressed in white. Yeah. You'll be escorting her. A little sad, perhaps, but proud. Okay, Judge. We'll all wipe away a tear when the organ starts to play that sweetest song of all. Oh, brother. <laughs>
2: Yes, my dear? What time is it? It's almost eight.
3: Oh, I'll be right down. Well,
2: he'll be here pretty soon. Hope I'm doing the right thing. I guess I am. The judge thinks so. I wouldn't want him to elope.
3: How do I look, Uncle?
2: Oh, you look lovely, my dear.
3: I'm so excited. So am I. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Mort... I want you to know I think it's wonderful the way you're taking this. Oh, well, it's
2: the way you want it, my dear. That's all that matters. I wouldn't want you to elope. I mean... You're uh,
3: sweet. And I'll never forget you for this. Even when I'm a grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't believe this is happening to me.
2: Neither can I.
3: Well, I'll wait upstairs. You call me when he comes.
2: Yeah, all right, my dear.
3: Mrs. Marjorie Marcel, doesn't that sound wonderful?
2: Wonderful. (laughs) Oh, dear. I wonder if Bertie's got everything ready.
3: Bertie!
8: Coming! Yes, Mr. Gillespie?
2: Bertie, you'll have the tea ready to serve when Mr. Marcel gets here.
9: Yes,
2: sir. And don't forget the French pastry. He ought to like that, being French. Yes, sir. And Bertie, be sure your maid's cap is pinned on. Wouldn't want it to fall on the tea.
5: (laughs) Yes, sir.
2: Something wrong,
9: Bertie? No, sir. I'm sure I'm going to miss Miss Marjorie. What? Yes, I'm sure we'll miss her.
2: But Bertie, she's not going to be.
9: House won't be the same without her.
5: Look, Bertie.
7: I'll come in to serve breakfast and there'll be that empty chair at the table. Bertie. Little old empty chair all by itself. <laughs> empty.
5: Yeah,
2: Bertie, this is silly. She isn't even engaged yet.
9: Well, I hate to see her go. I'm sure won't
3: miss her. Oh, psh- <laughs>
2: Oh, hello, Leroy.
3: Mr. Marcel here yet?
2: Oh, sure. He's hiding under the couch.
3: Huh? (laughs) Oh.
2: (laughs) Leroy, I want you to watch your manners tonight. The French are a very polite race.
3: Okay. Say, Uncle. Yeah? When Marjorie gets married, can I have her room?
2: Leroy, nobody said (laughs) Marjorie's gonna get... (laughs) No. There he is. Bertie, someone is at the door.
9: Coming. Yes, I'm sure. Go, (laughs) missus.
2: Is Mr.
1: Gildersleeve in? Yes, sir. Come in. Thank you. He's right in there. Gee, he's a big guy.
2: There's two of us.
5: Shh. <laughs>
2: Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, yes. Uh, oh, uh, good evening. I'm Mr. Marcel. Uh, how do you do? This is my nephew, Leroy. Marjorie's brother. Guess you'll be seeing a lot of him. Hello, Leroy.
3: Hello, <laughs>
0: Well, uh,
2: won't you sit down? Oh, thank you We're gonna have some tea and French pastry later on <laughs> Thought you'd like French pastry being French? Oh, well, my parents were French I was born in Boston Oh, uh, guess I should've got baked beans
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I... Suppose you're wondering where your little Marjorie is. She's upstairs. I'll call her. Oh, well, if you don't mind, Mr. Gildersleeve, I'd rather speak to you alone. It would be easier that way. Oh, yes, I suppose it might make you a little nervous having other people around at a time like this. Well, that's all right, I understand. Uh, Leroy, will you excuse us, please? Sure. Leroy, that means you're supposed to leave the room.
3: Oh, oh, I get it. Uh,
2: Well, Mr. Gildersleeve... uh, uh, I don't know quite how to begin this, but uh, I think when a teacher feels this way about one of his students, it's only fair to consult with a parent. That's right. Parents are usually pretty understanding about these things, my boy. And I want you to know that whatever is best for Marjorie and you is all right with me. Oh, I'm glad you feel that way. You know, I think a lot of Marjorie. Yeah, so I understand. <laughs> That's why I've been so concerned lately about the way she's been neglecting her work in my class. Huh? Her uh, work in your class? But I thought... She hasn't been doing her French
10: lessons at all. Her mind seems to be on
2: something else. Uh, uh, yes, it has been.
10: You know, many times
2: students have problems that we teachers know nothing about. And I thought you might know what the trouble is. Yes, I think I do. You see, Marjorie is in love. Oh, so that's it. Well, I know what she's going through. I, I happen to be in love myself. With a girl back in Boston. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's nice being in love, especially with a girl from Boston. (laughs) Well, I hope you don't mind my coming over like this. Not at all. You've been very helpful, and I'm sure that Marjorie will be back to normal uh, very soon. Oh, that's fine. I feel better
4: now. (laughs) So do I.
2: (laughs) Well, I'd better be going, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're going? Oh, yes. I'll take you to the door. Good night. Thank you. Thank you. (sighs) What a relief. Uh, but what am I going to tell poor little Marjorie?
3: Hello, Ankie. Uh,
2: Marjorie, uh, Mister Marcel.
3: I know, uncle I was listening from the stairs. Oh. I guess I've been awfully silly.
2: No, my dear, you're just young, and it's spring. Well, our little family is still together. <laughs> Come on, Marjorie, let's have some tea. We might as well eat that French pastry here. Have a Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> A strike, all right. Yeah, I could tell. Say, you're a pretty good bowler, Ben. Thanks, Mr. Gildersleeve. Guess I was just lucky. Uh, you're oh. next, Marjorie. Okay. Here's your ball, Marge. Now, take your time. Yeah, go on, Marjorie. Throw it.
3: Whoa.
2: Oh, my goodness, Marjorie. You missed all the pins you got to take your time, Mark.
3: Oh, Ben, I did take my time. No,
2: you didn't. You rushed it, and that's why. What...
3: Oh, drop dead.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> things are back to normal again. <laughs> Good night, folks.
7: The Great Gildersleeve is played by Harold Perry, Adeline Fairchild by Miss Una Merkel. The show was written by Gene Stone and Jack Robinson, with music by Jack Meekin. Included in the cast
11: are Walter Tetley, Louise Erickson, Lillian Randolph, Earl Ross, Richard Legrand, and Ben Alexander. This is John Wall saying good night for the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous line
2: of Kraft quality food products. Listen in next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the further Adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. Uh, folks, the Red Cross Drive is still on. There's still time to give, and your contribution is needed to carry on all the fine Red Cross work. Give now and give generously. Good night. <laughs>
4: This is NBC, the national broadcasting
12: company.
0: And that's The Great Gildersleeve from March 17, 1948, with a duel starring Hal Perry, sponsored by Kraft, is heard on NBC. All right, uh, The Cisco Kid. I watched The Cisco Kid quite a bit on Antenna TV. They air it on Antenna TV and we we love it. We have a radio broadcast for you now, good Western series created by O. Henry. The Cisco Kid was seen in films, on TV, and in comic books. And in 1941, it premiered on radio. Jackson Beck played Cisco with Louis Soren as Poncho, and later Jack Mather and Harry Lang played those roles. The Cisco Kid was a heroic Mexican caballero who fought for law and order in the Old West. Immensely popular on radio, it lasted until 1957, nearly 600 episodes. We have an episode for you now from September 26, 1957. It's called Morbid Jones and the Web of Death. Here's Jack Mather as the Cisco
4: Kid. Here's adventure. Here's romance. Here's the famous Robin Hood of the Old West. Cisco, he's sheriff, he's
13: getting closer. This way, Pancho Vamano.
4: The Cisco Keir. <laughs> go Kid in our exciting story, Morbid Jones of the Web of Death. Fear of discovery and wrongdoing has changed many a man. It was such fear that in the 1870s changed wealthy, quiet-spoken Ellis Ambry from a sneak-thief kleptomaniac into an incredible monster, a smiling killer of the most vicious type. Ellis Ambry lived in a great castle of a house a few miles outside Farmington, New Mexico some 25 miles south of the Colorado line, at the confluence of the San Juan, Las Animas, and La Plata rivers. By day, Embry was a courteous middle-aged man who minded his own business. By night, he was a scheming, plotting murderer. As our story opens...
14: Roof!
15: Roof Tarbell!
14: Yes, sir, Mr. Embry, I'm listening.
15: It's nearly dark. I'm going to town.
14: Yes, sir. Don't let him catch you.
15: I may be quite late getting back.
14: All right, Mr. Ambry. Oh, Mr. Ambry! Well? I've got this web done if you want to see it.
15: I most certainly do, Roof. That's what I've been waiting for.
14: I'm in the tank room.
15: How many times have I told you it's the sunken garden, not the tank room?
14: Oh, I don't know, Mr. Ambry. Yeah, I mean the sunken garden, yeah. I don't know (laughs) why
15: I put up with you, you
14: great stupid brute. If you weren't a handyman with tools, I wouldn't. Yes, sir, Mr. Ambry. Look at that web up there at the top of the wall. Ain't she a beaut, though, Mr. Ambry? It does look sinister roof against that sky. How does it work? You pull down that lever outside this tank, out of this room, and that web comes down. <laughs> It'll catch anything in this room and stick to it like glue. And then the water will start coming into the room.
16: Good, excellent.
14: This web will hold them down and the water will drown them dead. But that big door there's gotta be closed to keep the water in. I understand. You're a good workman, Roof. My congratulations.
15: Perhaps before long we can give that web a real test. <laughs> <laughs>
17: Jones, I want that stove wood, and I want it now. Mr. Jones, you out there in the yard. Oh, good land, that man skipped again. Probably gone to the cafe to play poker. Lazy, good for nothing. Won't do a tap of work if he can help it. Don't even like to wait on customers in the store. What what in the work? Oh, I begin to understand. Sneaking into the store in the dark. So that's your game, Mr. Jones, to swipe some poker money out of the cash drawer. Oh, no, you don't. I can see well enough to make out where you are, and I aim to teach you a lesson right here and now. Take that, Mr. Jones, and that, and that. I'll teach you it. You ain't, Mr. Jones, I know you ain't. You come into my kitchen so I can get a look at you. Ow! Strike a lady with you, you varmint. Hey, come back here. Come back, come
9: back here, you ding-toe coyote! Hey, you're not so fast there. I heard the rumpus and I...
15: Great snakes, it's Mr. Ambray! But you'll never tell anybody, Sheriff. Never. No. i killed him. I've stolen a life. It was easy to do. So perhaps now I can steal more lives. Perhaps hers if she suspects me. <laughs>
13: Cisco, si. tell Pancho about that note again. I told you the note is from our old friend Morbid Jones. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Also, I read you the note, but you were not paying attention. Uh, Pancho pay the attention this time. Very well, then. Now listen. I listen, I listen. The note says... What it say? Dear Vaquero Cisco. That's you. Hearing you are now at Durango, Colorado, I take my pen in hand to write you. Uh-huh. A committee of men... Me included, wish you would come here to Farmington and help us, as we are in trouble. Mm-hmm. Hoping you are the same. Sign Morbid Jones. <laughs> uh, this is the town of Farmington. And now we find Senor Morbid. No, Senor Morbid and the Senora. Okay, here.
9: Ain't no sense to that. You keep working,
13: Mr. Jones You hear that, Cisco? Ay- yeah, si, I hear it. <laughs>
9: and store
17: board by board. Yes, and after you take it down You're gonna
13: load it into the big wagon Oh, thunderation woman You keep working or I'll come up that ladder With a broomstick, Mr. Jones Oh, <laughs> 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 This is Make work just the same, Cisco See, si, and as always, Sr. Morbid is doing his best To get out of working <laughs> roll. Oh, look, oh, look, oh. Yeah. Buenos dias, Senora. Senor Morris. Buenos
18: dias, Senor. Senor Oh,
9: goodness uh, me. Sisko,
18: Pancho, well,
9: dog, my cats, let me down off of this confounded ladder. Oh, am I glad to see you, Cisco, And you
17: too, Pancho. Gracias, Senora. Gracias. Look, i will send you, Morris. And I've come down the ladder too fast. There he goes. Oh, Mr. Jones. Hey!
9: He followed the ladder, Cisco! Well, I should say he did from halfway up. Oh, I broke every bone in my body, boys. Broke nothing. Oh. You're just trying to get out of work. Uh,
13: we got your note, Senor Morbid. What does it mean?
9: Oh, uh, it means there's a murder loose around here, Cisco. Uh, some two weeks ago, Mrs. Jones cuffed him around in the store at night. Right after that, he shot and killed a sheriff. Yeah, go on.
17: Well, Cisco, then folks began to get notes saying that if they traded at our store, they'd be killed. Old Tom Matson got such a note, but he kept on trading with us and disappeared last week.
9: You ain't we good to. Don't nobody know, Pancho. Ooh. Ooh. So some of the men got together and formed a committee. Mr. Ambry, uh, Ellis Ambry, is the chairman of it, and asked me to write to you. Well, that's about the size of it, Cisco, except we got a note. Oh, what is this note you got, senor?
17: Here, Cisco, I thought you might want it. You can keep it. Gracias.
13: Well, this note was written with very fine ink. Hmm. It orders you to leave town on penalty of death.
17: We'd stay anyhow, Cisco, if folks should keep on trading with us.
13: Well, we know you're not leave because you're afraid to. Ah, of course. Now, where do we find this, Senor Ambre?
9: Well, he left word here if you come in this afternoon, Cisco, to tell you to go right out to his place. Straight through town, about,
17: oh, two miles out. It's a big house up on a knoll. You can't miss it. Yeah,
9: I'm going along, too. No, you ain't. you get back up on that ladder. Oh, now, Mrs. Jones. Up that ladder, oh, Mr. Jones. please, Mrs. Jones, your middle name is Tyrant. That's all. I told you <laughs> to get back to your... <laughs>
5: please
13: wow. stay and listen to this, Cisco. No, no, Pacho, Come along. We have work to do. <laughs>
5: Whoa! Whoa!
14: whoa. i got to tell Mr. Ambry, quick. I'm over here, Roof, in the portico. Any news? Oh, yeah, Mr. Ambry. That morbid Jones, Umbry, is taking down his store. Taking it down? Yeah, yeah, I hear him and his missus are leaving town. And, oh, yeah, Mr. Ambry... The Cisco kid got to town. That's what I wanted to know, Roof. A- and he talked with Morbid and her. I-, I see him from a distance. Oh, yeah, Mr. Ambry, I spied on him.
15: Sisko <laughs> talked with him, eh? Then that business of leaving town may be just a fake. I can't take the chance that that woman may recognize me someday as the man in the store. It may be that later on tonight we'll kill her and Morbid, too. Yes, sir, Mr. Ambry. What about Cisco? I've inquired about him since Jones persuaded the committee to send for him. Cisco's dangerous. If he comes out here, we'll do away with him. What do you want me to do, Mr. Ambry? Go down to the sunken garden and make sure the web is in working order. As good order as when we finish Tom Matson.
13: This is a big house, Cisco. Biggest house, finds you ever see. Yeah, it cost a great deal of money, Chico, to build a place like that out here. Uh huh. That high wall that surrounds the house costs a small fortune by itself. Uh, how we get through this big gate? Oh, there we oh, 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 oh. Ah, the gate is swinging open.
19: Cisco, look who opened it. That hombre almost as big as the
14: house. Lord, come in. Mister Ambry is expecting you. come on. Go go, 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 go. You can leave your horses. I'll
13: take care of them. Hold on. Who? Our horses will be all right at this hitch rail. Uh,
14: we're not being here
13: very long, hombre.
19: <laughs>
13: uh, what's funny about that, hombre?
15: I'm Ellis Ambry.
13: You're the Cisco Kid. Sí, si, señor. This is mi compañero, Pancho. Buenas
19: tardes, señor.
15: Come right into the house.
19: feel cold to punch you.
15: Punching it
7: like
19: it.
15: Well, what can I do for you first, Cisco? You can tell us what you know about the murders. I know nothing about them. I'm on this town committee simply because I was asked to be chairman of it.
13: Have you any of the notes sent to the townspeople, senor? Yes, yes, in this desk. Here.
15: Here are two of them.
13: Gracias. Ah, same high-grade ink. In the same handwriting that was on the note to Senora Jones. Who used the good ink like that around here, in Ambry?
15: Perhaps the hotel or the bank. But suppose we wait for the other members of the committee before we discuss the case.
13: Oh, I did not know the others were coming out here.
15: Yes, yes, we'll have dinner and then talk. Meanwhile, let me show you around my house. I'm very proud
13: of it. Oh, you have some fine things, Senor. I like the best. Perhaps because I can afford the best. Have you lived here long? For quite a while.
15: I find it restful, sometimes diverting. Hmm.
19: This place all made of cement, no?
13: I call it my sunken garden. Using that net up there for decoration is unusual, senor. Yes, my own idea. It represents an Asian plant. Well, Mr. Ambry,
15: can you come here a minute? Uh, some of the committee just arriving, no doubt. Will you excuse me?
13: Romanto, senor. Do not close that door. I was not quick enough, Pancho. It may be all right, but... What's that noise, Cisco? What's that noise? Madre mía, look up there. That net is moving down on us. I look like a big web, Cisco. Down flat on your face, Pancho, quick. But, Cisco, the coming in the room? Look at the water! Down on your face, I tell you. Your only chance to escape.
4: But the chance of escape from the deadly web is slim indeed. In just a moment, we'll return to The Cisco Kid. <laughs> Back to the Cisco Kid in our exciting story Morbid Jones and the Web of Death. When Cisco arrived in Farmington, New Mexico at the request of his friend Morbid Jones to investigate two mysterious murders and a series of threat notes, Morbid referred Cisco to town chairman Ellis Ambry, a rich man who lived in a great house outside of town. On pretense of showing Sisko and Poncho the place, Ambry got them into his sunken garden room, and then excusing himself left the room and pulled a lever that started the deadly clinging web down from the wall, and at the same time opened the water pipes. Now.
19: Sisko, the water come in. The web will pull us down. The water drown us.
13: For the last time, Poncho, down flat on your face before I knock you down. the
19: the not like The Poncho, are want to be grounded, Cisco. <laughs> Let's
14: see you get out of that, Cisco. You them both good, Mr. Ambry. <laughs> By the time we get back, you'll be dead.
19: <laughs> Cisco, uh, the water come up high. But are scarce.
13: Cisco, Poncho, pan- Poncho, now stop it. I'm not scared. We may not have any chance, but we have a little chance. Mm-hmm, Poncho, now see how. The web tried to tangle us up. All right, now keep down as flat as you can. You're let a coil of that web get around your arm or leg. Come, by all the time. come on now, wake your way to the edge of the tank, amigo. What tank? What tank? This room. It eh? is only a great tank. Yes. Work your way there as fast as you can. Like this. Come on.
19: But,
13: but I warn you, Pancho, do not let one coil of that web catch you. It is made of material that will cling and hold. Oh, can't you ever get out of these room? Just go. and you never come into a room like it again? I should never have let that killer. Leave the tank without us. You do not can tell
19: everything ahead of time, to Nobody's
13: yeah, What is done is done. We are nearly to the wall of the tank. See,
19: Cisco. to lift his head a little bit to see him.
13: All right, now. Just a foot so more to the edge. Uh-huh. So if we crawl out from under the edge of the wet. How uh-huh. oh. we get to the top of the wall, go. You will let the water float us to the top. But
19: the barns can swim. The barns been drowning all over
13: again, no? I will hold on to you. Uh-huh. Yeah, now, the water is rising fast. And the web not rise with the water? No, no, it's too heavy. we will stay down.
19: Uh-huh.
13: That web of death was invented by a man who was out of his mind. Now, we near the top of
19: the tank. Hold on.
13: Find us this ghost. Here, Miguel. Hey. Now, grab this at the wall. Grab. Had uh, to the wall? Out of the wood. Okay, Cisco. look, assassins. The helped you out of the woods. Hey. Uh, 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 our work is only starting. Let us get down quickly. Where are we go next, Cisco? Back to town. That note threatened our friends, the Joneses. The killer may have decided to make the threat good.
17: Mr. Jones! Oh, granted it all, I suppose I'll have to shake you to wake you. I never did see a man that sleeps a sound. Mr. Jones, wake up! Wake up, you hear me? Oh,
9: look out. Like, oh, Geronimo, get away from my scalp! Oh,
17: Geronimo, nothing.
9: Wake up! Oh, it's you, Mrs. Jones. Oh, I can never sleep. Yes,
17: and snoring fit to shake the house. Mr. Jones, Cisco and Poncho ain't back yet, and I'm worried about them. What time is it? Oh, it's well after dark. You suppose they're all right?
9: (laughs) Of course they're all right. Cisco knows how to take care of himself. Well, just
17: the same. I never did like that Ellis Ambry.
9: There's something sly
17: and dishonest about him.
9: I tell you, Cisco can take care of himself. Now, what you say we start out, Mrs. Jones? The big wagon's all loaded. No,
17: I want to wait until Cisco and Poncho get back. Oh.
9: Right. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll mosey through the town, see if I can find them.
17: Make sure you don't mosey into any of them poker parlors.
9: Why, Mrs. Jones, a very idea. If you
17: ain't back in 20 minutes, I'll come looking for you.
9: Oh, suspicious, just like all women.
17: You heard what I said, Mr. Jones. In twenty oh, minutes. Oh, plump suspicious,
5: that's <laughs> me. But then,
9: as women go. She's a pretty good one. <laughs> get him, Roof.
5: Yeah.
9: Here, now, put
15: these handcuffs on him.
14: He's out cold. That's what happens when
15: I hit him. Come on, Roof, come on. We'll get the Jones woman and take them both along. we we'll take the big wagon, too. It'll fool people. Yeah. Now, you go into the house ahead of me. No wish to engage in more fisticuffs with her.
17: here without knocking. Don't call out. I got her, a scramble. Why, you two buzzards. Get your hands off me, you
14: big ape. Oh, you wild cat. Stop slugging me. Sag in her mouth. There, there. Now why don't you just rope around her arms? Say, I don't want no more of her punches. I don't want them. <laughs> Carry her out to the big wagon roof. Then go get
15: Jones. We'll show them both our sunken garden. Hold
13: <laughs> oh, there's the oh, a hole. hold hole, hole, oh. hole, hole, There's no light in the house, Pancho. Ah. I understand,
19: Cisco. Maybe Senor and Senor Morbid start out on the trail. Perhaps. We'll make
13: sure. Big wagon going from the shed, Cisco.
19: The horses are not in the
13: corral. Let us see if the front door is locked. I uh, see. We'll try the back door. I do not believe Senor Morbid would lock both doors. I never knew him to lock any door. Hmm. Back door locked too, no? See. Uh-huh. Let us try a window. He tried the window. Uh, this window is not locked. Senora! Senor Morbid, Senor Morbid. No, Cisco, they're not in the house. Well, they've gone. But whether of their own accord or whether they were taken from here remains to be seen. I am going inside to look around. Pancho, you stay here. You find anything, Cisco? There's signs of a fight in here, amigo. There's what? no doubt they were taken from here.
19: Bandidos take the horses in the big wagon, too. Yeah, apparently. But, Chico,
13: if they go back to the big house, we not need the big wagon. They could have taken the other road, Pancho. Oh. In any event, we are going back out to that big house just as fast as we can get there. I hope we would, Pancho, but the bandidos had too good a start. Maybe the bandidos see we come back. Maybe they be on the lookout for us. That is why we are riding to the back wall of the estate. Amigo, because the big hombre be on watch at the front. Exactly, Pancho. You arrive, ride the big hombre not near our horses. That is the chance we must take. For the Senor Morbid and the Senora and the power of that madman, there is not a moment to lose. We'll get over the wall at this point. Hold hold up. Ho, ho, ho. I want any of you riata under your arms, Pancho. Eh? And when I get up on that wall, toss the other end up to me. How'd you get up on the wall, Cisco? By standing on the back and jumping to catch the top of the wall and drawing
19: myself up. Good thing for us is a
13: little starlight Here, the riata. Toss it up. Ah, bueno. Uh-huh. Now, up you come, Pancho. Oh, Santos, I wish you would go on a diet... Uh-huh. It's uh, up here now. Uh, oh. Now we will jump to the ground inside the wall. Come on! Powerful jump around like this,
19: Cisco. Why isn't you going to die? Uh oh, It's a big, big hombre, Cisco. He hear us come over the wall.
14: So you, you're back again, huh? See, si, hombre. Well, this time you ain't gonna get away. <laughs> now let him hit
19: you, Cisco, i knock you through the wall.
13: Yeah, uh, he's big and powerful, uh, but clumsy. I'll show you your dick. Yeah. Oh. You will show me one thing, Bandita? Oh. How to measure your length on the ground.
14: Oh.
13: <laughs> That's the hardest punch Panch, to ever seen you hit, Cisco. It had to be a hard punch. Leave him there, Punch. and follow me. I only hope we are in time. You're front door, Cisco? See. Si.
19: There, yeah, there, Ambry, Ambry. Way down the hallway. Uh, he reached
13: for the lever. Yeah, it may be the one that starts the web coming down. Game away, Cisco. Shoot. That's what I'm going to do. Get back away from that lever, Ambry. Or my next bullet will be for you. You'll
9: never cheat me of this. Never. Never.
13: <laughs> ah, madre mía. Come on. He run around the corner of the hallway, Cisco. He's going to fire. Down, Pancho. Now we will see. Get back. Get back, Cisco. You fiend. I will take that gun, Ambry. Hey, uh, Pancho, help our friends. Roo, He cannot help you, Ambre! and no one else will. You are headed for jail, and soon. There. Now, as soon as I can find that ink for added evidence.
19: Cisco, take your mother, Senor, all right, and Pacho, let him loose from the web.
13: I'll be right there, Pacho. After I tie this bandito.
17: They
19: come out to see you.
17: Cisco, you're a blessed angel and I'm gonna give you a great big hug! Careful, senora. Oh,
9: my ribs. Yes, sir, Cisco, if it hadn't been for you and Pancho... Me and my wh- precious wh- Morbid would have been dead. Yeah,
13: your precious Morbid?
17: Well, he ain't much, Cisco, but I guess I do love him.
9: Oh, quit it now, will you, woman? <laughs> this here ain't no place for sentiment. It's
17: as just go to places any, Mr. Jones. And if I want to say I love you... Oh,
9: now you just quit. Then. I won't quit it. Oh, Oh, yeah, no, no, And no, 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 you, you can't get... beat oh, me. Mr.
13: Jones, come on. What's the matter, Moses? <laughs> <How's> <laughs> <going>? Nothing <laughs> fun, <laughs> yeah. Once again, you're things you're are perfectly now, normal. <laughs> Hey, sí, Pancho. You find that ink? See, sí, it helped to convict Ambry and that big one, Roof, of murder. Now that the
19: bandido's in the jail, Senor Morbo and the Senor stay in farming town, no? See, sí, amigo.
13: Their store is up once more, and people are trading with them again. Well. Bueno. I should just find out, Cisco. Why they leave Santa Fe to live in Farmington. Well, why did they leave Santa Fe? Because the railroad wanted to put the right of the way through Senor Morbett's barn. The railroad wanted to put the right of way through Senor Morbett's barn? Yeah. And I suppose Senor Morbett did not want them to have the right of way.
19: Oh, he doesn't mind uh, if they have the right of the way, Cisco. then what was his
13: complaint? He
19: didn't want them to have it through the barn.
13: But why not?
19: Because he say he not got the time Eh? to open and close the barn doors every time the train wanna go through.
14: Oh, Pancho! Oh, Uh, (laughs) sis (laughs) go!
4: And so ends another exciting adventure with O. Henry's famous Robin Hood of the West, The Cisco Kid.
0: And that's The Cisco Kid from September 26, 1957, with Morbid Jones and The Web of Death, starring Jack Mather. That was a syndicated radio production. More of the WGN radio theater after this short break.
1: Please salute our brave men and women fighting overseas for their support of the USA. This salute, courtesy of a concerned citizen, John Wadzita, serving the U.S. Postal Service for over 38 years. John Wadzita is on the air saluting our troops.
0: In our next hour, it's Guns, smoke starring William Conrad. Plus, we'll have a quarter hour comedy episode of Vic and Sade from 1944. That's coming your way right after the news. Hour five of the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. Five straight hours of your favorite classic radio shows. We play eight episodes each and every week here on the greatest radio station in the world, WGN. In this hour, it's a great Western adventure on Gunsmoke starring William Conrad. And then we'll tune into Vic and Sade. But before we do any of that, I want to talk about Matt Burdine and Burdine's Jewelers. If you have fine jewelry that you don't wear anymore and you want to turn it into cash, you want to get a great deal for your fine jewelry, you want to call my good friend Matt Burdine at one 800 eight seven five four four one eight and mention this radio offer and he will give you a free appraisal on that fine jewelry. Now I have been sending my family and my friends to see Matt Berdine at Burdeen Jewelers and I gotta tell you they're all happy with how much money Matt paid for their fine jewelry. And I know you revitalized some of your jewelry, right?
1: I did. I sort of updated some uh, pieces that I inherited that I didn't feel was my style. And now it's more beautiful than ever, and I wear it and appreciate it. So I appreciate that you let me in on your little Matt Burdine secret.
0: That's right. Now, not only does Matt Burdine revitalize old jewelry into new, fresh, beautiful jewelry pieces, but he'll buy your fine jewelry Or you can go to his website and peruse all the amazing pieces of jewelry that Matt has on display. You can go to Burdeens B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com. That's his website, com. Or call Matt and tell him about this radio offer. He'll give you a free appraisal on your fine jewelry. Get some cold hard cash for that jewelry that you don't wear anymore. one 800 875 Four four one eight, and the website again: b u r d e e n s dot com. All right, stick around. Guns smoke after these words. Hour five of the WGN Radio Theater, and in this hour. It's Gunsmoke and Vic and Sade. Gunsmoke was an adult Western series created by Norman McDonald and John Meston, came to radio in 1952, lasted all the way to 1961. These were stories in and around Dodge City, Kansas, in the mid to late 1800s. Marshall Matt Dillon was played by William Conrad. Parley Bear was Deputy Chester Proudfoot. Howard McNear was Doc Adams, and Georgia Ellis was Kitty Russell. Dillon was was a lonely, isolated man. He was toughened by a very hard life. And Gunsmoke was so popular on radio that it made a transition to television in 1955. And that TV show, Lisa, lasted all the way until 1974. Imagine that. 1955 to 1974. Now on television, it had an entirely new cast. James Arnest played Dylan. It was ranked number one on TV from 1957 until 1961. We have a radio broadcast for you now called Who Lives by the Sword from February 26, 1956. William Conrad stars now in Gunsmoke.
9: There. I got enough to buy one more drink, Miss Kitty.
20: You shouldn't spend all your money on me, mister.
9: Mister? <laughs> well, listen to that. Huh? Ain't nobody called me mister in my whole life.
20: <laughs> How old are you, Billy? Twenty one. Uh huh. Oh, it's true. Well, anyway, you're old enough to be called Mister.
9: <laughs> Golly, you you sure make a man feel good, Miss Kitty.
20: <laughs> Thank you, Billy. But you pick up that money now You've had enough to drink for one night
9: Oh, a couple of beers
16: Save
20: it for breakfast, Billy You'll be glad I made you
9: Now you ain't treating
16: me like a man, Miss Kitty (laughs)
20: There's
16: no reason why she should, kid Kitty, huh? You won't have no trouble treating me like a man, Kitty
20: Beat it, stranger
16: What are you horning in here for? Go on home to bed, kid Let's you and me sit down somewhere, Kitty talk it over a little.
20: You wouldn't feel at home, stranger. Huh? There's no hogwaller for you to sit in around here.
16: People don't talk to Joe Delk like that.
20: Then Joe Delk had better go back to wherever it is he's got people afraid of him. Not here, mister, not in Dodge.
16: They'll be afraid of me in Dodge, you just don't know I'm here yet.
20: (laughs) Well, why don't you go let him know and leave us alone?
16: She's asking you, mister. I'm telling him. You heard her. I'll take care of you in a minute, Kitty. As soon as I get this little blowfly off my neck. Man, this your money, kid?
9: You leave that alone.
16: Go on, go pick it up before you get into real trouble. I'll kill you for that. No,
20: Billy, he's a gunman. <laughs> Can't you tell?
9: I don't care what he is.
20: You kill them he was only a kid
16: i wouldn't care if he was a grown man he didn't
20: have a chance against a professional like you
16: nobody i've ever met has but now people begin to know joe delks in town
15: i never heard of
16: joe delks maybe not mister but you've seen what he can do i didn't see it
20: matt that poor kid i don't even know his last name
16: what happened kitty well, I'll tell you what happened, mister. He got to crowd in me, same as you're doing right now.
20: This is Marshal Dillon you're talking to.
16: Oh, Marshal Dillon, eh? Well, I don't mind eating a Marshal now and then. Did he murder the boy, Kitty?
20: No, he didn't, Matt. Kid drew first.
16: Yeah.
15: Must have been easy for you, Delk. Real easy,
16: Marshal. It was kind of fun.
20: Fun? Killing that nice boy, fun. Yeah,
16: taking my time that way. <laughs> what are you doing? Give me my gun. You're
15: not going to be needing a gun, don't
19: you?
20: What are you doing? God! God! He sure never expected that, did he?
15: No gunman would, Kitty. But he's sure never gonna forget it.
8: Well, good morning, Mr. Dillon
15: Morning, Chester
8: I let Delk out of his cage He ain't none too surprised this morning
16: What do you expect me to do, you holding a shotgun on me? How you feeling, Delk?
15: Outside of your pride being hurt, I mean You know,
16: I think of a man who fights with his hands, Marshal
15: <laughs> I don't care what you think about anything He's a coward that's what he is. It took you by surprise, didn't I? Of course it did. And I hurt you, too, didn't I, Doug? Hurt you pretty bad. You wouldn't want to go through that again, would you? No. No, I wouldn't. Because I'd kick you half to death next time. Now, what are you doing in Dodge, anyway? Coming on the Santa Fe... Yesterday. I said, what are you doing Look, here? Look,
16: Marshal, just because I had to shoot a man in self-defense... Boy... He had a gun, didn't he?
15: Against you, he might as well have had a stick. It was still
16: self-defense.
15: There. There's your gun belt.
16: You turning me loose? Put it on. Okay.
15: Now, I can't reach you from here with my fists, Doc.
8: My, that was an awful chance you took Mr. Dillon. I mean, you might have had to shoot him.
15: I was pretty sure he wouldn't draw, Chester. Well, why? The beating I gave him last night. That takes the vinegar out of a man like Dulk. Kind of scares him.
8: You mean that's why he just walked out of here?
15: And it could be one reason. One reason? Yeah, maybe he's got something in mind. Like what? Like finding me when I'm not ready for him. They're putting himself behind a shotgun. They're shooting me in the back. Dulk never got hurt that way before. It rattled him some. But he's not through. Not yet.
20: Can I borrow your spoon to stir my coffee, man? Ah,
15: well, sure, Kitty. Yes. Here, here.
20: You'd think this restaurant could afford more than one spoon to two customers.
15: (laughs) Well, if they did, they couldn't afford the quality beef they serve.
20: (laughs) Then I won't complain. I'd hate to think of eating any lower off one of those animals.
15: (laughs) You know something, Kitty? Before long, some bright fellow's gonna get the idea of raising cattle in one small area where they can live peaceful and grow fat and
20: juicy. (laughs) Sounds like a great idea, Mac. Why don't you start it?
15: No, oh, I got a job.
20: Oh, sure, I forgot. After all, a job with a future like yours. Oh, now, Kitty. I can see I... your gravestone. He didn't die rich, but he sure died stubborn.
15: <laughs> I like that. I think I'll use it. You won't be there. Well, maybe you'll take care of it for me, huh?
20: Having dinner with you is real pleasurable, Matt.
8: Well, oh, thank you, Kitty.
20: Don't mention it. Mr.
8: Dillon, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Miss Kitty.
20: You sit down, Chester. Have some coffee with us.
8: We ain't got time, Miss Kitty. Doc's gonna be waiting outside any minute. Doc? He wants you to go at the Dodge house with him, Mr. Dillon. Oh, what for? To see Joe Delk.
20: Don't tell me somebody's finally shot that ape.
8: No, it ain't that. He was over the Texas Trail drinking all day yesterday. He sent word to Doc he's sober now, but he's got the shakes and needs something to fix him up. Wolf poison might help.
15: Oh, why does Doc want me along, Chester?
8: Maybe he don't trust old Delk. Anyway, he says he won't go see him alone. Yeah, well, maybe he's right.
20: I never heard of a gunman fool enough to drink so much he got the shakes, Matt.
8: No, neither did I, Kitty. Maybe it ain't even true, Mr. Dillon. Maybe he's got something fancy in mind, like you said.
15: Yeah, maybe... You wait down here, Chester.
7: Yes, sir. Huh? What'd the clerk say,
15: Matt? Uh, top of the stairs, the fifth room on the left.
7: Uh, Wouldn't surprise me if he's recovered by now.
15: No? What do you mean?
7: Yeah, it's been two or three hours since he sent for me. I didn't think he'd hurt him to live with his misery a while.
15: Yeah, if there was anything wrong with him at all. No, I heard he'd been
7: drinking yesterday.
15: Jim Buck said he saw him over there. Man can make a show of drinking and still be sober, Doc.
7: Yeah. If he's got a reason, you <laughs> mean.
15: Yeah. Uh,
14: sh- wait a minute. Wait. Uh, this is the room. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, Listen. Uh, somebody's in there with they?
16: No, it's just dope. No. Get away. Don't hit me. Get away. Stop. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Matt? It's locked.
15: Stand out of the way, Doc
16: Don't don't hit me, Marshal Don't hit me Why, he's asleep, Matt He's dreaming Yeah Hey,
15: Delk Delk Come on, wake up
16: Delk, come on Marshal What are you doing here? Who's he? Well, I'm Doc Adams
7: You're awake now, Delk you were having a nightmare.
16: Yeah. I was dreaming. Where you been? I sent for you hours ago. What'd you bring the marshal for? What
8: in the world's going on here, Mr. Jones? It's
15: all right, Chester. Del got a little mixed up. He started seeing things. Yeah, he's had dreaming. Man like you can't afford to dream like that, Doc. He can't afford to get it as jumpy as you are. Doc. Uh, give me something. Uh, give me something to take. Oh, yes,
16: really. all right.
7: I've got some pills here somewhere. If I can just find them now. Yes. yes, but these pills won't do you as much good as about a gallon of coffee. Well,
16: what are you staring at me for, Marshal? Just taking a last look, Doc. What do you
15: mean? Two hours from now, I don't want you anywhere near Dodge. I ain't done nothing. You're all through, Doc. Your gun's no use to you anymore.
16: You're afraid. I had a bad dream That don't mean nothing You got two hours, Doc Go get killed
15: someplace else I don't want to watch it
8: I, I should not even be in here, Mr. Dillon. Oh, why not, Chester? Well, I'm broke. Well, the beer's on me. Oh, well, now, I surely do thank you, Mr. Dillon. I am plumb grateful. I truly am plumb grateful, too. <laughs> I only
15: figured on buying you one, Chester. Oh. Mr. Dillon? <laughs> yeah, I see him. I think he's still got an hour. Who's that fellow he's talking to? Uh, some
16: drifter, I guess. I'll uh, buy you a drink, Mister. No, I ain't <laughs> drinking no more. I only come in for one. I said I'd buy you a drink. Uh, sorry, stranger. One, all I can take. I did my drinking yesterday. I don't like it much when a man's downright unfriendly. Well, some other time, mister. I could take it. You think you're too good to drink with me. That that ain't what I'm saying. I told you why. You'll uh, drink with me? No. No, I can't. All right. All right. You're wearing a gun. No. What you doing? All right, hold it, Mr.
15: Marshal. Step back, Dulk. What are you interfering for? Did you ever hear of Joe Dulk? What's he got to do with this? Uh, you were about to fight him. Joe Dulk, <laughs> Nah, that couldn't be him. Oh, no, why not? Delk wouldn't take that kind of talk. He'd have killed me right off. <sighs> now you're just lucky, mister
16: you really Joe Delk, mister? I am. Look, I didn't mean nothing. I, I didn't know. I gotta be going anyway.
5: Well, Delk? Hey.
16: It ain't two hours, Marshal.
15: I said I didn't want to watch you get killed here. You go find yourself a horse. I'll be at my office for 30 minutes, then I'm going to come looking for you.:
5: The 30
8: minutes is up, Mr. Don.: Yeah. You reckon he's left?
15: I hope so, Chester.:
8: I feel kind of sorry for him.
15: Do
16: you? It's him. (laughs) Now, just take it easy, Marshal. I ain't looking for trouble. I want to talk to you. All right, talk. You seen it? That fellow over at the saloon? Yeah, what about him? I backed down, Marshal. I was afraid of him. Don't you understand that he was no gunman? Doug. Of course he would. Something's wrong with me, Marshal. Ever since that beating you give me.
15: What did you want to see
16: me about, Doc? You gotta help me. Help you? you know, I'm, I'm going to take my gun off. I'm through gunfighting, but you gotta protect me
15: you got to do it, Marshal. I'm sorry, Doc. There's nothing I can do for you.
16: I'll get killed. There's men all over looking to kill
15: me. You should have thought about that a long time ago.
16: Let me me stay here, Marshal. You tell everybody to leave me alone. I'll die if you don't.
15: Doc, let me ask you something. How many men have you killed in your time?
16: I don't know a lot of them. What difference is How many like
15: that boy you shot down the other night?
16: You're against me. You ain't gonna help
15: me. No, I'm not gonna help you. Because you're a killer, Delk. You're nothing but a murderer. All
16: right. I'll go. I don't know where, but I'll go.
15: Wait a minute, Doc. Did you ever hear that saying about how a man who lives by the sword dies by the sword? Yeah.
16: I heard that somewhere. Well, it's true, you know. I guess it's going to be true for me. Yeah. You know something, Marshal? What? I can't think of no reason why someday... He ain't going to be true for you.
15: You know, people on the frontier looked down on a buffalo skinner. They referred to him as a stinker, and they avoided him. But next week, one of these outcasts wins the respect of the whole of Dodge. And that
10: was the West. Good night. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Sam Edwards, and Clayton Post. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another specially transcribed story on Gunsmoke.
0: That's Gunsmoke from February 26, 1956 with Who Lives by the Sword, starring William Conrad, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. All right, you know what, Lisa? It's time now for Vic and Sade. A lot of people, you got to sort of warm up to Vic and Sade. If you just hear an episode of Vic and Sade, you're kind of like, huh, what? But it's one of those things, when you listen to it, kind of over and over, you get where they were going with the with the series, you know? And the humor. In the humor, because right. it's very, it's very different than like a situation comedy series. The humor is really subtle. It's a quarter hour comedy series created and written by Paul Reimer. It aired from nineteen thirty-two until nineteen forty-six and was one of the most popular shows in the history of radio. Seven million Devoted fans tuned in each and every day. I mean, think about that. That's like, you know, that's like Super Bowl numbers. It was uh, a series known as Radio's Home Folks, Vic and Sade. The lead was played by Art Van Harvey. He was Victor Rodney Gook, an accountant. His wife, Sade, was played by Bernadine Flynn. And their adopted son, Rush, was played by Billy Idelson. Now, there was another character, Uncle Fletcher, played by Clarence Hartzell. And he always had these outrageous stories and advice about everything. Very, very funny series. They all lived uh, in the small house halfway up on the next block. It was sponsored by Procter & Gamble's Crisco for most of its run. We have a quarter-hour episode for you now from January 24, 1944. This is called Vic is Sleeping on the Couch. Here is Vic and Sade.
12: And now, get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vacant Sade, written by Paul Reimer. Vacant Sade is brought to you by the makers of pure, all-vegetable Crisco. But first, here's Zella Lay. Say, did you get to that PTA meeting, Zella?
21: Yes, and it was so interesting. A nutrition expert discussed how we can make food fight for freedom. One point she made friends was that Women are learning appetizing meals don't depend on fancy fare. And isn't she right? I think that's why I depend on Crisco so much. It makes plain food look so interesting and taste so good. Now take the leftover beef roast I had last night. Instead of just serving it as a stew with potatoes and onions and gravy, I decided to make it a casserole. I added a half cup of diced stuffed olives, seasoned it highly, and topped it off with a Crisco pie crust. Well, you should have heard the family. And I'm sure they wouldn't have been half as impressed if it hadn't been for the tender, flaky Crisco pie crust. Are your family great pie eaters, too? Well, you know, that'd bother some women. They'd worry about pie crusts turning out hard to digest. But with Crisco, you don't even have to think about that. Why, Crisco pie crusts are so light and flaky, they set right even with the youngsters. And that's the beauty of cooking with Crisco. It's digestible itself. Honestly, nine out of ten doctors vouch for that. They say Crisco fried foods are digestible, too. Why, you know, Crisco's pure and all-vegetable. Really, it's the finest quality shortening you can use. Remember this. With Crisco, everything you cook tastes better, and it's digestible. And now, back to Vic and Sage.
12: Well, sir, the evening meal has been over only a little while as we enter the small house halfway up in the next block now. And here in the living room, we find Vic, young Russell, and Sage's amiable uncle, Mr. Fletcher Rush. Vic is stretched at full length on the Davenport, and Russell and Uncle Fletcher are seated at the library table. Uncle Fletcher seems to be winding up an anecdote. Listen.
22: He changed his name to Umbright, changed it to McFleeker, Changed it to Henderson, changed it back to Umbright, changed it back to McFlaker, changed it to Clay Bremer. changed it to Harris, changed it back to Umbright, changed it back to Henderson, changed it to O'Connor, changed it back to Umbright. Died and was buried, and the bereaved put Sweeney on his tombstone. <laughs>
23: oh, my gosh. <laughs> it
22: is all a little crazy, them Fonglemans.
23: Fonglemans?
22: Well, oh, this fellow's real name was Fongelman.
23: My head is starting to swim. Fine. Vic, honey, likely you remember Ed Fongelman. I think he's asleep.
22: Why, George, he acts like it.
23: He got his eyes shut.
22: Oh, well, he's tired. Had a heavy day at the office and all. Yeah. Ed Fongelman, Russell, honey, built up a flourishing business, buying and selling dead fish. He married a Philadelphia, Pennsylvania woman, 24 years old, made all her clothes for her, sang a tenor solo, 15 cents, and passed away when he was 88 years old from...
5: Fongelman.
8: Hello, Ed. Hello, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I must have dropped off there a minute. Yeah. I was sworn somebody spoke to me, huh?
23: Oh, Uncle Fletcher did.
8: Oh, I knew I didn't fall completely asleep. Uh,
23: you were completely asleep enough. It was a long time ago Uncle Fletcher spoke to you.
8: Two hours ago.
23: Oh, I bet it was two minutes ago. I was telling about Ed Fongelman, Vic, honey.
22: Oh, yeah? Likely you recollect, that
8: Uh-uh.
22: Married to the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania woman, 24 years old? No. I thought you'd know Ed. Mm. Maybe I'm thinking of Roy dejectedly. Roy knew Ed. Roy also knew the Philadelphia Penn woman he married. She was a Philadelphia Penn woman, 24 years old. Well, how old was he? Ed?
23: Yes. At the time of the ceremony? Yes.
22: Ed was 26.
23: <laughs>
22: <laughs> I'm not jolly in here, Russell. Honey. That's the absolute truth. Okay. <laughs> you think that's funny? Let me tell you about Howard Honeycrutch that married the Paducah, Kentucky woman, 37 years old.
23: <laughs> tell me about him.
22: Oh, <coughs> well, sir... Howard Honeycrutch was Somebody an out-and-out out halfway. a big
18: chunk out of my lovely olive and pickle shoe, Russell. What's Mom's saying you something. You know anything about it? Olive and pickle shoe got busted? Never got busted, but there's a monstrous big chunk knocked out of this. What on earth is this? Dove said he was sleepy and stretched Dick. out.
8: Vic! Oh, it's
18: What's the idea? Get up from there.
22: I told him to stretch out, Sadie.
18: Vic, we got company.
22: I told him to stretch out, Sadie.
18: No, but goodness. How'd he like to go to somebody's house and have the host lay down in the living room and go to sleep? Oh, what happened, Sadie, honey? Vic mentioned he would, he put in a particularly
22: heavy day at the office there, and I just said, Thunder, Vic, stretch out on the Davenport, honey, a minute. I insisted. I said, Vic, honey, grab a couple seconds, snooze while Sadie's doing the
18: day. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> oh
8: for mercy's sake. <laughs> at least for one fleeting moment I dozed on.
18: Do you realize you have company? Uncle Fletcher was our guest for supper talk about rudeness.
8: No rudeness to it. No rudeness to it. Oh, he told me to lay down.
18: Oh, he told me to lay down.
8: I mentioned I had a particularly heavy day at the office.
18: What was different about it from other days? I had a conference. You talked with somebody, huh?
8: I talked to H.K. Fleber in Groverman, South Carolina on a long-distance telephone. Get up from there.
18: Lay there a bit, Connie. Sadie,
8: I won't permit him to cut short his rest on my account. Cut short his rest? <laughs> a straight on, guy. the guy's nervous. Sister Trent's second business is all this stuff.
18: How would you like to pay a visit to Fred stand by him and Fred stretch out on the damn port and go to sleep?
8: People don't appreciate our tired man wash his breath. Lay
18: there, Vic. Lay there. I won't stand for you
22: sacrificing your rest just because I happen to be here for supper. I'm not company. Lay there.
23: Oyster Cracker's cousin Lombard and sends his dear friends into spasms of hysterical, uncontrollable laughter by telling them about... Russell's the French- got the idea. That's
22: right, Russell. No, you lay there on the Davenport, honey. I can
8: get your cheeks laid away over your business. Oh, Ish.
22: Oh, Ish, uh, it's but- uh, Delicious supper, Sadie. Thank you. Everybody helping hit the spot.
18: Just delighted you managed to make out a meal. The meat was tough. The potatoes was poisonous. Yes,
22: that's right. No, every helping hit the spot.
18: Mm-hmm. I'd like to see myself visiting somebody's home and the host sprawl out on the couch and shut his eyes. Uh, Sadie, I was just asking Russell here if he remembered Howard Honeycrutch. Likely you recall Howard. No.
22: One of the Belvedere Honeycrutches? Mm mm. Married the Paducah, Kentucky woman, thirty seven years old?
23: No. How old was he, Uncle Fletcher? Who's this? How old was Howard Honeycrutch himself?
22: How old was he at the time of the wedding ceremony? Yeah. Howard is forty two. <laughs> Russell, I, I see it strikes you funny. If, <laughs> hey,
18: Uncle Fletcher, you started to tell something just before supper tonight, and I was busy in the kitchen bustling around and lost out on it.
22: I don't believe I quite bring to mind the matter. Something
18: have, about uh, you getting up real early tomorrow morning to work on some job or other. Yes,
22: yes, 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 Sadie, yes. She's
18: going to substitute for a guy on a milk crop Oh.
22: Emmett Fatler, Sadie, is having his wife's tonsils and adenoids removed at the hospital first thing tomorrow morning. Emmett Fatler said he is brother to Ernie Fatler, that's the ticket agent there in the Interurban Station. Oh. Yes. And Emmett wants to be at the hospital and watch the operation. Emmett is a milk wagon driver and has the milk route that goes out East Oakland Avenue to Mercer and that neighborhood. Oh, and you're going to substitute her. Huh? That's uh, right. He... That's right. I'll deliver the milk while Emmett goes to the hospital and spends the morning with the missus. It's her tonsils and adenoids mm. she's having removed.
18: Uh, well, will you uh, have to get up at... <laughs> what's that terrible time, milk wagon fellas? No, to don't have
22: to get up at no 2 o'clock or nothing, Sadie. Emmett's going to work until
18: 6.30. Oh, I
22: see. You relieve him at 6.30. I relieve him at mm-hmm. 6.30. I meet him at the corner of Washington Street in Florence at 6.30 and take over the wagon and cover the remainder of the route. Of course, that arrangement still makes me get up around a quarter to 5. By the time I've had my breakfast and oiled my shoes and fooled around doing this and that... Why hey! I hey, be-
18: hey! Hey, say! What's the matter? What's the matter, Vic?
22: Chase. Uh, did you say?
18: He had a bad dream.
22: Yes, he had a bad dream.
8: I was at Davenport,
18: huh? Well, isn't this grand? He
22: had a bad dream.
18: Yes, he had a bad dream. I had a bad dream. Man on the Davenport and going to sleep with company of invited to supper, sitting right in the same room with you. I
8: had a bad dream. Having
18: nightmares and screaming and yelling and almost scaring everybody out of their wits. And... Is this
8: bad dream? I, uh, I guess I thought I was in some kind of a... Jungle. Well,
18: why wouldn't you have nightmares hunched up on that little Davenport? with your clothes pinching and choking you and nine million big electric lights blazing down in your face.
8: In this bad dream. Well,
18: get out from there.
8: I was being chased by a gang of green people that had swords in it. Get out from there. Lay
22: there, Vic. Sadie, honey, I, I won't stand for Vic inconveniencing himself on my account. No, Vic, you lay there. Want a blanket thrown over
8: you? No, things.
22: I'll run up and
23: fetch you down a blanket. No, uh, don't buy No, now, you lay there. Um, oh, my goodness sake's alive. Oh, hmm. Um, cracker's cousin lombard that resides in Gleena. Want to go with me on the milk wagon route in the morning, Russell? Sure.
22: Be a trifle early for you to climb out of bed, wouldn't
18: it? Well, I'd enjoy that.
22: Well, just get Mama's permission. No.
18: Oh, tomorrow's a school day.
22: I should be heading for home pretty quick.
18: No, don't rush.
22: In order to get a full night's sleep, I'll have to retire good and early.
18: Can you drive the horse okay, Uncle
22: Fletcher? <laughs> I know horses like I know the father of my hand, Russell, honey. Oh. And besides, I've drove Emmett Butler's milk wagon horse before. Oh? He goes under the name of Clifton. It's
23: an uncommon name for a horse.
22: Yes, very common. Very common name for a horse. Clifton. Yes, very
23: common. <laughs> I said uncommon. I said Clifton. Sadie, lady, honey, likely
22: you remember Clifton Hoster and Fletch. No. He married the Winona, Minnesota woman, 21 years old. How old was he? Clifton, at the time of the wedding ceremony. Uh-huh. Clifton was
5: 24.
22: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I was going to say about Clifton Hoster Fletch, he attempted to teach a common, ordinary bicycle to kick. Now, there's about 40 obstacles that have to be overcome to accomplish any such a half-wit stunt. Well, bicycle got no feet. A bicycle got no feet, and a bicycle got no sense. Most people thought Clifton Hostelflitch had gone out of his head to think of such a numbskull idea. But by George, he accomplished this much. After four years of hard work, he got that bicycle to the hey, point... Hey, hey, you say.
8: You
22: see? Oh. Oh, say. He fell asleep again and had another bad dream.
8: Oh, oh say.
22: He had another bad dream, Russell, honey. Yeah. Oh,
8: see. Uh, you say. You oh, see? Get
18: up from there. Oh, say. Get up from there.
8: Yeah, okay. I get enough. I believe
22: I'll go home.
12: Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. And now, here's Zella Lane.
21: Say, tell me something. What do you do for a supper snack when you don't have a bit of meat and stamps are kind of low? <laughs> I really had to dream up something last night, so do you know what I did? Well, first of all, I made some feathery, light Crisco biscuits. They're always a treat for the family. And filling, too, when the rest of your meal's kinda slim. And then the main dish, I turned over to Crisco and my skillet. Maybe it's something your folks would like. You boil diced sweet potatoes and diced turnips together. And then you saute one onion in Crisco, add the cooked vegetables, and fry slowly to a nice, crusty brown. Mmm, it smelled so good and looked so good. You should have seen my family pitch in. And listen, isn't it a comfort knowing Crisco fried foods don't give a twinge to digestions? Really, you don't have to worry with Crisco. Fried foods come out so light, even the youngsters can eat them. Of course, right through the cookbook, you can depend on Crisco for really digestible food. Pure, all-vegetable Crisco is digestible itself. And you know it's the finest quality shortening you can use. You'll see, with Crisco, everything you cook tastes better, and it's digestible.
12: And don't forget to listen to Vic and Save the next time. This is Ed Roberts saying good day for Crisco. It's digestible.
10: This is the National Broadcasting Company.
14: I
0: And that's Vic and Sade from January 24th, 1944, Vic sleeping on the couch, Art Van Harvey, and Bernadine Flynn, sponsored by Crisco. Got a little time, so let's play a five-minute mystery.
11: Another five-minute mystery. One more block and you'll behold the Brooks household.
21: Two whole years, Jim. It just doesn't seem possible it's been so long. You and Dorothy married and with a place of your own. That's yeah, true, all
11: right. Only too bad you haven't taken advantage of the old Brooks hospitality sooner.
21: Well, I'm here now and I intend having a perfectly wonderful time. Now, here we are. <laughs> oh, what a charming place
11: this is. Uh, Dorothy's probably on needles and pins waiting for me to get you here. Uh, darling, it's Jim. Here's Alice. Jim, look. What? Where?
3: There on the living room floor. It's Dorothy.
6: Dead.
11: Mr. Brooks, I'm afraid you and Miss Manning will have to submit to some routine questioning. Well,
21: I'll be happy to help in any way I can, Inspector.
11: Thank you, Miss Manning. Now, Mr. Brooks, while we're waiting for some information I phoned for, I want you to tell me exactly what happened this morning. There's nothing much to tell. Both my wife and I were quite excited... Expecting Alice, that is, Miss Manning here, and to visit us from Chicago. I was to wait until she called me at the office. And you were there all morning? Yes, until Miss Manning's train arrived and we came out here.
21: Well, I had written Mrs. Brooks instead to telling you that I'd called Jim at the office as soon as I arrived.
3: The train was an hour later. We could have been here earlier and maybe have prevented this.
11: Oh, well, that remains to be seen. Apparently, Mrs. Brooks was sitting here in this chair, putting red polish on her fingernails, when she was shot from behind. The polish has spilled all over the carpet, and she was still holding the tiny brush in her hand. She must have recognized her attacker, and since she did not die instantly, she printed these three initials here on the floor with the polish. D-O-C. D-O-C. I wish we could tell whose initial she was trying to reveal. You're sure you don't know anyone whose name would fit that? Positive. I can't... Uh, Why, Were that... Yes, Miss Manning? Can you think of somebody with the initials?
21: Well, I... D-O-C spells Doc, and it's Mr. Brooks's nickname. Well, it can't be. Yes, I Mr. Ha-
2: Brooks? I haven't been called Doc for over two years. It it was a nickname I picked
8: up in school. My wife didn't like the name and never used it. Nobody in New York
11: even knows me by the Doc. You've got to believe me, Inspector. It's the truth. Mm, well, that we'll see just a minute. Hello? Yes, Grady? Yes? I see. Well, it's sewed up anyway. Thanks. Well, you both will be happy to know our little murder is solved. Oh, then, then
3: it wasn't Doc after all.
11: No, Miss Manning, it wasn't Doc. I'm arresting you, Miss Manning, for the murder of Dorothy Brooks. (laughs) Why did the inspector arrest Miss Manning for the murder of Mrs. Brooks? In a moment, we'll hear, but first... Now, back to our story.
3: How dare you arrest me? I was still on the train. Your
11: train wasn't late, Miss Manning. That phone call just verified the fact. You came out here, murdered Mrs. Brooks, returned to the station, and called Mr. Brooks to pick you up. But that wasn't what really gave you away, Miss Manning. Too bad you didn't know Mr. Brooks was no longer called Doc when you printed those letters on the carpet. The next time you leave a name as a clue to throw suspicion, you'd better get the name right. But, of course, there won't be a next time, will there, Miss Manning?
0: five-minute mystery let's take a quick break then it's more here on the wgn radio theater i want to remind everyone listening that there are five free classic radio shows waiting for you at our website 100 radioshows.com just go to that site put your email address in and we'll instantly send you five classic radio shows absolutely free and when you're at that website You'll notice there's hundreds of other classic radio shows available for purchase. If you decide to purchase any of those shows, make sure you use the promo code radio at checkout because you'll save a whopping 70%. Where do you get 70% off?
1: I'm just wondering if you can figure out what 70% off is.
0: The computer does it. Uh, I don't have to worry about that. No, I'm just
1: kind of curious. Even though I'm pretty
0: good at math, though. Are you? You know why?
1: Because you didn't listen. (laughs) Because you were looking at other things. No, I'm pretty good at math because... I had a crush on my math teacher. And you carry your abacus with you, so it that's helps true. out a
0: lot. I have to have a whole like uh, a radio flyer wagon to carry the abacus. No, they in have it. many ones. Do they have many ones? Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. That, well, right. that's
1: what I should get you for your birthday, right around the corner. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Please salute our brave men and women fighting overseas for their support of the USA. This salute, courtesy of a concerned citizen, John Wadzita, serving the U.S. Postal Service for over 38 years. John Wadzita is on the air saluting our troops.
0: Now, next week, Lisa, when we come back here at 10 p.m. on Saturday all the way to 3 o'clock in the morning, what are the eight classic radio shows we'll be playing?
1: All righty. We have Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator, The Craft Music Hall, The Mysterious Traveler, Bold Venture, Mr. and Mrs. Blandings, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, The Columbia Workshop, and the Bill Stern Sports Newsreel.
0: All right. That's great. We'll see you all next week, 10 p.m. Thanks for tuning in to the WGN Radio Theater.